Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts that we think be acceptable to you, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This afternoon, we turn to the story of Jesus and the final meal that he shared with his friends. In the other gospel versions of this story, we hear about how Jesus shared the bread and the cup with his disciples and then told them to eat and drink in remembrance of him. But in John's version of this story, the meal is just sort of like a background detail. It's simply the setting for the main event for what John really wants to talk about. In John's version of this story, while Jesus is gathered with his disciples around the meal, he gets up and he takes off his robe and he ties a towel around himself. And then he pours water into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, Peter has been watching all of this go down and he can't quite figure out what Jesus is doing. You see, in those days, washing someone's feet was a job for servants or slaves. It was gross and demeaning work. After all, people didn't have the best footwear in those days, and their feet would get dusty and grimy. So Peter can't understand why Jesus, this teacher who has just made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, would literally stoop down to the level of a servant. Why would a great and promising leader do something to make himself appear so weak? Peter just doesn't get it. Lord, are you going to wash my feet, he asks. It's almost like he can't believe this is happening. He can't wrap his head around the fact that Jesus would humiliate himself by washing the feet of his followers. And when Jesus assures him that, yes, in fact, he is going to wash Peter's feet, Peter refuses. You will never wash my feet, he says. Peter's world is being turned upside down. You see, he thought he knew what he was getting himself into with this Jesus guy. He thought he understood what it meant to follow Jesus. He expected Jesus to act like every other victorious military or political leader he had ever known. He thought that Jesus would demonstrate his superiority, not get on the ground and do the work of servants. Why would Jesus show such weakness? All of Peter's assumptions are being called into question. Now, I have to admit, I'm identifying more with Peter this year than I ever have before. Our world feels like it has been turned upside down. It feels like everything that we've always taken for granted has changed overnight, and all of our assumptions are being called into question. It's hard to know what we can count on right now. Even the way we've always done church has changed overnight. I am preaching in a nearly empty sanctuary, and that's just weird. Our choir can't practice together. Our Sunday school classes have to meet over Zoom. 
Our mission trip to Guatemala has been postponed, and we can't even care for our neighbors here in Nashville in the same ways that we've done before. I'm not saying any of this to complain. Okay, maybe I am complaining a little bit. But I'm also simply just naming the fact that things aren't anything like we've ever known before. A friend of mine called her grandmother Doris, who's in her 90s, and she asked her if this reminds her of World War II. Her grandmother said, no. During World War II, we were united. Every other day was a community fundraiser, a sewing circle, a prayer service. Together. We were together. She said, I've never seen anything like this before. We are experiencing a seismic shift in our world. And like Peter, we're trying to wrap our heads around what that means. When our world has turned upside down, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus in the midst of a pandemic? I think for some of us, this time is busier than it ever has been. Some people have suddenly found themselves unable to work and they're having to scramble to get unemployment benefits or look for another job. Essential workers are having to carry on under extremely stressful circumstances. And those who are working from home are having to adapt to new ways of communicating and getting work done. Many parents are trying to teach school and parent and work all at the same time, and they're feeling like they're not doing very well at any of it. And then on the other hand, I've seen people on social media talking about how we should be using this time. It's such a good time to learn a new language. We should be taking up new hobbies. We should be teaching our kids how to be rocket scientists. Whether or not we're still working, many of us still feel like we should be using this time productively. Our culture has conditioned us to think that if we're not busy, if we're not being productive, if we're not striving for excellence, well, then we're somehow irrelevant, or weak, or not good enough. I read about a study in Business Insider the other day, and it found that even if Americans will be away from their jobs for two months, we will still work about the same number of hours in, an, the, uh, same number of hours in the year as an average German worker before the pandemic. But here's the truth, friends. Here's my truth, anyway. Even when I am trying to be productive these days, I am just not functioning at peak performance. My brain is fuzzy and I am not clear-headed. I'm happy one minute and then I am really hot-tempered the next. I'm not sleeping as well as I could. And I might just need to buy some stock in the chocolate industry. I've been eating so much. In other words, I would love to be productive right now, but most of the time I just feel weak. And if you're having a similar experience, I want you to hear that that is normal. All of this, whatever we're feeling right now, all of it is a result of grief and anxiety and this collective trauma that we're all experiencing. And no one should feel pressured to do anything more than to simply get by in the best way that they know how. In other words, 
it is okay to lower our expectations. In an article in the Washington Post, psychotherapist Dana Dorfman says that there is no right way to get through this other than allowing yourself to just be your own way. She says, if you're carrying any guilt about not producing your best work, you have permission to let that go. She also says that if, by, that if being productive is a coping mechanism for you, well, that is okay too. Just make sure that you're not overextending yourself and burning yourself out. Take care of yourself. But here's the deal. We may feel like all of our human frailty and weakness is on display right now as we scramble to figure out what new normal is. And all of this social distancing that we're doing, all of this staying home and hand washing and mask wearing, it may not seem like much during the course of our day. We might even resent it a little bit, but it means everything to those who are most vulnerable, to those who are older or immunocompromised, to medical workers and first responders, grocery store and restaurant workers, and those who deliver our groceries and our supply and our mails, our mail, it means everything to them. These are our collective efforts to protect them. Author Jen Hatmaker tells the story of learning about elephant behavior in the wild. She says, when a mama elephant is giving birth, all the other female elephants in the herd back around her in formation. They form a circle around her. They close ranks so that the delivering mama cannot even be seen in the middle. They stomp and kick up dirt and soil and, th and that, that is supposed to throw attackers off the scent. They surround the mama and the incoming baby in protection. They send a, a, a clear signal to predators that if they want to attack their friend while she is vulnerable, they'll have to get through 40 tons of female aggression first. When the baby elephant is delivered, the sister elephants do two things. They kick sand or dirt over the newborn to protect its fragile skin from the sun. And then they all start trumpeting. An elephant celebration of new life, of something beautiful being born in a harsh, wild world, despite enemies and attackers and predators and odds. Friends, I know we didn't choose any of this. If we could go back to the way things were before the pandemic, I know that we would do that in an instant. But our collective efforts to flatten the curve, our willingness as a society to stay home, to give up on so many of the conveniences that we used to enjoy, our willingness to figure out how to work and worship and form community in new and different ways, all of it combined is an act of love. When Jesus took that basin and water and bent down, when he took the posture of someone on the lowest level of society, Peter saw it as an act of weakness. He thought that Jesus was giving up his power, but it wasn't weakness at all. It was an act of love. And love is the most powerful force 
in the universe. Love is greater than any virus, and it is stronger than death. Love, after all, will raise us to new life. And when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was showing them what that love looks like. He was showing them what was about to happen on his journey to the cross and the glory of Easter morning. And he was inviting them to follow him, not in a military or political victory, but in the greatest demonstration of love that our world has ever known. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does it mean to follow Jesus in the midst of a pandemic? It means closing ranks by social distancing. It means standing in solidarity as we worship from our living rooms. It means protecting the vulnerable by putting things on hold. And on this Monday, Thursday in particular, it means washing our hands at home instead of washing one another's feet in this building. And it may feel like weakness sometimes, but it looks like love. And love always, always, always wins the day. Thanks be to God. Amen.